Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I am joined today by Dimity McDowell. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to the first day of summer. I kind of think of this as the first day of summer, even though I know it's officially not. But oh, I think def- I think I think it is the same way. You know, Labor Day uh, is not really the end of the season of summer, but it certainly marks the end. So I think Memorial yes. Day definitely. Kicks yeah, Memorial it off. Day. Barbecue and all break, that stuff. Yep. Break out your white shoes. Here we go. <laughs> Do people still own white shoes that aren't aren't uh, sneakers? Ah. Uh. The only pair of white shoes I ever, well, I should probably own some as a kid, but I mean, the only pair of white shoes that I ever owned was for my wedding day. Right. And, um, yeah. Sure. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I, they're not my thing, but um, the nurses own them, I think, or maybe yeah. they just wear logs now. I don't know. I, I don't know. Right. Yeah. Good question. They say, they, say for, they say first communion to me, but. Uh... <laughs> first communion. Yes. Yes. First communion or getting married. One of the two. Something in a church. Yep, 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 yep. So, uh, so I just got back from Bend. I was um, the MC at the Happy Girls Race, and I believe it was my, it was the seventh Happy Girls Race, and I think I've, I think it was my sixth time. Wow, um, yeah. you got a streak going. I do have better a than a Snapchat streak, right? <laughs> and it was, uh, yeah. I mean, I was there when I had my fractured ankle, and uh, that was that was a whole lot of fun. And um, so, so this time finally we had some beautiful weather. It was actually I too warm, too sunny for racing. But oh my goodness, it has snowed on us there on Memorial Day wow. weekend. <laughs> and um, so yeah, I was there in shorts and our new badass mother runner tank top. So Sweet. That, was, that feels good. It was awesome. It was awesome. And then um, usually I'm so worn out from all that that I don't do a ton of stuff. Well, the, you know, the family stays there in Bend for the weekend because it's a lovely escape for us Portlanders. And, the, and then you go out to the high desert. And so there is the high desert museum there. And Dim, you know, I love a good museum. <laughs> <laughs> the High Desert Museum. And for for the record, what, and pray tell what is in the high sand cactuses? <laughs> no. What? So um, so first of all, you live in the High Desert. Um, that that is Denver, part of the, Denver's the High Desert. Well, that's consi- they they definitely showed a map of the High Desert, and it covers most of Colorado, and oh, okay. um, you know, like a lot of Utah and some of Idaho and uh, Eastern Oregon and Washington and. Uh, 
So it is an incredibly well done museum and it has all sorts of things. It had, um, Dim, you will be nodding your head on this one. The main reason I wanted to go this time in particular was because they had a special World War II exhibit. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, there you go. You and your World War II. Yeah. Yep, yep, we yep. love that. Yep. So, um, so it's really intriguing. That exhibit was about um, kind of how the high desert played a very important role in the home front of World War II about, you know, there's like a lot of space and it's uh, not on the coast. And so, you know, like the Japanese can, it was further for the Japanese to get to. Um, and um, and just a lot of workers and stuff. So there's that exhibit. And then there's all sorts of animal exhibits. So they had porcupines. They had a bobcat. They have this, um, oh, and you'll love this too. It's, um, they have a bird of prey exhibit, Dimity. Oh, nice. <laughs> so do they have a jackalope there? <laughs> I almost took a... Remember when we were driving across Pennsylvania and I saw that bird of prey and I yelled yeah. out, Raptor! <laughs> and you almost ran off the road. <laughs> <laughs> I've been quiet before that, and all of a sudden Sarah's like, you know, bringing out her leather gloves so she can catch it. Right, be a falconer, get out the tiny yeah. little hood to put on it. Um, yeah. So, um, so then, um, so they have that, and then they also have a pioneer, like uh, you know, what it would have looked like back in the day in Bend, back in 1904, which was okay. staggering how pioneery it seemed and then you think that back you know let's say outside of albany new york or something you'd have electricity you would have probably have running water you would maybe have a telephone there would be cars going you know model t's going by and this it was like where are ma and pa angles it felt very very um pioneery and rustic and so they have these um docents for lack of a better term who stay totally in character for the most part, as if they're in 1904, and so there's yeah, that's what you have to do after retire, after so another mother. Bet. That is that is going to be your volunteer job. I can totally see it. You're going to love it. Oh my it. gosh, Molly and I. Molly's going to sew outfits for both of us. Oh, it's going to be yes, fabulous. Yes, so. I know. I know. You're going to go back and live your Laura Engel Wilder dreams finally. Yeah. So, so there's this. Um, so they have this house, uh, and it's you know 1904, and they have this very small bed with its hay quote unquote mattress and the boy who is working in the house is 13 and I just totally want his backstory I want him to be a hyperlink that I could click on and find out that like you know I don't know why is, and he was this cute boy and I was just like thought, why are you doing this <laughs> so, um, so uh, he let me lie on the straw mattress <laughs> Oh my gosh! Wow, <laughs> you're all in. All I did. In. I did go all in, and then they have this um, area where you can play games like they played back then. And so, of course, they had the ubiquitous hoop, you know, from the Little House on the Prairie series, where you know you would. Um, it's kind of like a wooden hula hoop, but with flat edges, and you would um, run and get it kind of spinning or you know running along the ground, and then you have a stick that you push at it to keep it rolling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a uh, I've seen that in in um Little House of the Prairie. Oh yeah, that. exactly. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. Nellie would play it. I mean to me it was kind of a Natalie, city. Natalie because she was the rich one. No, Nellie, Nellie to... with that. Oh Nellie, no <laughs> Nellie. Well yeah, she was she was still the rich one, right? Yeah. Oh exactly. They, yeah, they they had the, a store. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. So to me it was more that was more of kind of a city folk because of that because yes. you know it seemed like kind of an expensive thing. So but they also had then okay so you're imagining that hoop and so imagine that it's a whole lot smaller and then you have 
these wooden sticks that look like enormous chopsticks and you have a partner or you can play with a couple people and you cross the sticks you hold one in each hand you cross them um kind of down near the end almost near not too far from your hands and you have the hoop on them and then you lift your arms as you separate the two sticks and the hoop goes flying in the air towards your partner who then has to catch it on one or both of the sticks themselves and you know then if it really goes well it goes up around your arm oh my gosh we were like an olympic team training for this game (laughs) (laughs) i love it so it was jack daphne john and then daphne's best friend lucy and i mean we would play so that it was you know me tossing to john and then going the other way would be you know daphne tossing to lucy and and then we'd swap in and out or we would you know just randomly be like hey john and throw it to him and so like so john was like mom you're really good at this you could have been a professional back then (laughs) what's the name of it so it's called the game of graces with an s at the end and it um sometimes the you can tie ribbons onto it but we and that slows it down and supposedly if it like knocks against your hand it's a little less painful but we also found it harder to do with the with the ribbons on so we bought the game of graces in the, awesome. in the gift shop and uh john and i went over we're um house sitting our neighbor's house and they have a double lot so they have a really beautiful side yard and you know yards are a little hard to come by here in portland and so john and i played that game the game of graces after dinner last evening and we had so much fun <laughs> Oh, good. I love it. It was, it was like a fun game. Oh, it was really awesome. It was, I mean, it's kind of like Frisbee meets lacrosse meets, I don't know, something else. It was, um, and you know, it's kind of flying in the air and, uh, and there's a, there's a definitely you have to have it, a, you have to get good at doing the crossing of the things so that it goes flying straight. Um, and mm-hmm. doesn't flip over too many times. So it was just, I mean... <laughs> do you get do you get more than, is it just a two-person game, or do you get more than one, two sets well, of chopsticks? So, okay, so get this. So so we go into the gift shop, and uh, it, each set has four sticks, so that's enough for two players, and two hoops. So in case you, like, lose one, it gets stuck on a tree, whatever. One breaks. And um, so Daphne goes, oh, well, we need two sets. And I'm like, what? She goes, we need two so we can play more than two at a time. Well, this game was 28 bucks. I'm like, I'm not dropping 60, almost $60 on some game that we love today and we might never play again after about a week from now. (laughs) So I don't know. So we started out with one kit. So to answer your question, yeah, you would have to, um, I mean, John does like to whittle. I mean, maybe I get him some, some, I don't know, some ass. I mean, I I can't imagine those would be that. I mean, you'd have to see them, but I mean. You know, if you have two hoops, you could probably make the sticks. The sticks would be, yeah, because the hoops would take, um, I mean, all woodwork requires fine skills, but I mean, I, I there's no way we could make the Well, hoops. and to make it round, that's hard. I mean, yeah, no. Right, that, right, that, yeah. That's beyond, you know, yeah. six-grade whittling <laughs> right, skills. Right, but, right. but sticks, sticks could work. Yeah, so maybe I'll put John in that, because John is an avid whittler. He, um... I, I don't know if I've told you, but John is staging his own production of The Lion King in our living room. Um, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> for, this is a multiple, multiple week project, and he's the only one so far starring it. He has tried to get a couple neighborhood kids to do it. Um uh, including Bobby Strayed or Cheryl Strayed's daughter, you know, who played young Cheryl in Wild is one, you know, they're our neighbors. And so oh. I, I come downstairs uh, and I'm like, hey, wow, okay, wait a minute. 
<laughs> invite the professional actor over to be in your production of The Lion King. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. Oh, so anyway, so he, but but the reason I mentioned that is that he, for the big staff that Rafiki holds, he whittled a stick that's probably six feet long, and then he painted up this ball and he put it on top like speared it through it and he whittled so uh voraciously that he got a huge blister on his thumb oh my gosh wow he is uh uh, passionate about whittling that's great he is he is so anyway so maybe i'll i like your suggestion maybe i'll get him on the case for making some new sticks from game of graces so um if anybody else has played uh game of graces please tweet me at sbs on the run and maybe we will Make, make a little subset of another mother runner. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Game of Graces. Game Jackson, of Graces future Olympic athlete. Right. Jack said last night at dinner, he's like, yeah, if, if mom had been born in 1904, she wouldn't have run. She'd just play Game of Graces. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I love it. That you're oh, my gosh. That's what yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Well, so let's move on to our guest today, who um, is uh, you know works in the sports and field, <laughs> sports and fitness industry, but I doubt doubt maybe the game of graces industry. Um, <laughs> she is Sarah Rob O'Hagan, a well-respected business innovator who transformed both Gatorade and Equinox Fitness. Before that, Sarah was in leadership positions at Nike and Virgin Atlantic Airways. Sarah's a mom of three kids, and she's originally from New Zealand, so she has a nifty accent. But the main reason we invited Sarah on the show is to talk about the concepts in her new book, Extreme You, Step Up, Stand Out, Kick Ass, Repeat, as well as the movement she founded called Extreme You. We'll chat with Sarah Rob O'Hagan right after this speedy break. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, from one Sarah to another, welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. So we doubt you'll remember, but we met at BlogHer in summer 2011. I uh, totally remember. Of course I remember. <laughs> oh my we ran we, we did run together. Oh my gosh, you really do remember. Yeah. Oh, of course I remember. That's why I was excited to do this. Oh, I love it. That's hilarious. Oh my gosh, yeah. So so I was about to tell you that like we're both super tall. We were wearing these like total yep. dorky matching outfits with these pink tank tops and patterns. We skirts. were. Yep. That's very right. Yeah. In fact, I may even have a photo of it still. <laughs> that's why somebody oh, wow. uh, from Sparkle Athletics just posted a picture recently and I was like, Dim and I were both like, oh, we, we can't do that anymore. We cannot do the matching thing. So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah, we can't. No, no, no. That's not working. Yeah, yeah. Good. Uh, yeah. All right. All right. Okay. Well, so let's get the important stuff out of the way first. Um, so in your new book, Extreme You, you mentioned your big feet yeah. a couple of times. And I have yeah. what I actually term water skis. So we, we got to know how big, are your, how big are your feet? Okay. So I was settled in doing nicely at a nice, comfortable 10 women's. And then I had three kids and they grew. And so they're now a women's 11 or a men's nine and a half to 10. Oh <laughs> yes, yeah. No, yes. Dim's got you well, beat. She I, wears, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Dim. No, we don't need to put my size out there because people, I did lots of reasons, but it's, I am, I've got you way beat. And so does my daughter who is six oh. now. So she's, she's no, 13. No, I'm but, so impressed. 
Yeah, she. Um, but I mean, you mentioned that you can still wear your Labu tens, which I'm like, she, they don't go up to thirteen. No, <laughs> They're no, not no. Making those. Yeah, yeah. So. I'm like literally, and I when I wear them, I have to squeeze them in, and it's like I can last for maybe an hour, and then it's like I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. Awesome, awesome. Okay, really though. Um, so walk us through how you morphed from a self-proclaimed lazy field hockey player to a woman who has run numerous races, including Tough Mudders and triathlons and half marathons and all that stuff? It's a great question. So, um, yeah, I played a lot of sports as a kid, a lot. I mean, I come from New Zealand, you can tell by the accent. Mm -hmm. And luckily for me, sports for girls is just a really big part of the culture there. And I think unlike here in the U.S. where it's kind of girls get shuffled into one big sport called soccer, at home we had netball and um, field hockey and all these great sports so playing sports was just a big part of all of our upbringing um but i do remember yeah i never got picked for the a team and i finally figured out why when my coach was like well you're just lazy (laughs) (laughs) and um so i realized i had to take up running and what really propelled me actually forward is i remember my father coming home from a business trip to america so obviously anything that was bought home from america in those days was amazing and he (laughs) picked up a pair of Nike Air Stabs. I can still picture them. And so I was literally the first person in my school to be wearing Nikes. And mm-hmm. they had they were like, you know, little cushions under your feet. So it was kind of like this thing that just propelled me to actually try and go running because they were so fun to wear and it just felt amazing. And in those days, I had a giant like um, – walkman cd player mm-hmm. can you picture that like i was carrying a cd player as i was running oh, listening sure. to pat benita we've totally been <laughs> totally been there the disc player i mean come on <laughs> oh yeah yeah and i honestly think it was the combination of great shoes having music in my ears that kind of made me realize running actually wasn't a chore it could be really fun and that's how i got into it nice so, Sarah, I was intrigued to find out that you were the genius who orchestrated Nike's Run Hit Wonder Race. Um, mm. I loved that race. I was sorry. It was mm. so short-lived. Um, flock of <laughs> Seagulls, English Beat. It was my slowest 10K by more than an hour. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. That means you loved it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know if, if there are enough oldies out there who remember that. It was in the early 2000s, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, so yep. so just talk for a second about that because it was, I just, oh my gosh, I love that race. It was so fun. So first of all, I wish I could say I was the genius, but it was a team of about five of us. I can still remember the brainstorming session when we came up with the idea because we were under enormous pressure to come up with a running event to trial a Nike shoe was really what it was all about. And for some reason, we were like, we're in LA, LA people are into music, mm-hmm. like at some, I don't even know how we got into the topic of bad bands from the 80s <laughs> and one hit wonders. And as soon as my colleague friend Jason goes run hit wonder, we were like, oh my God, <laughs> it has to happen. But then the best part is like, you can imagine the, the pitches that the team had to do to these bands, like saying we're asking you to play one song over and over and over again for all of these runners to get past you. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh because because, and because like, we feel you only had one good song. So yeah, don't, don't even bother like, playing any others. Yeah. <laughs> don't be trialing any new music on us. That is not what this is about, you know? Yeah. And 
And I do remember the entertainment marketing team going, this is not an easy pitch, but it was so fun. And as you know, like I think it, what was cool about it is that the, honestly, the name, everyone immediately got what it was. Yep. And so the thing sold out so quickly. It was a blast. Yeah, yeah. So oh what, what, what uh, why was it short-lived? I don't know why. What happened? Um, no, what happened was it, in Nike terms, it was actually very long-lived because it went from the first year in LA, the second year we expanded it to a national tour, which was even cooler. Like literally the bands went on tour to all these cities across the US. So we did that for a couple of years. But then, you know, Nike, one of the things I love about that company is that, you know, they don't sort of stay in the same place for very long. So they were like, okay, what do we do next? How do we evolve to the next thing? And so I guess other ideas must have come afterwards. Sure, sure. All right, before we dive into the book, I have to admit, I'm usually not much for advice books, but I really, really enjoyed Extreme You. Um, oh, I'm so stoked. Yeah, both the easygoing anecdotal writing style as well as all the advice. So so well done. Um, Thank you. <laughs> um, and one, one anecdote I especially loved was you showing up for the first day of a new job with numbers from your half Ironman proudly still <laughs> on your arms and legs. So, so can you please uh, tell that story and suggest what it says about you? I would love to also point out you are the only podcast out of dozens that's asked me about that story so that's amazing okay. like everyone else asks about what about when you got drunk and slept in and missed a meeting no but you asked me about the try I love that oh, um so no I uh I had done a my first ever half Ironman which I've now done two but they are like that's that's as good as I'm ever gonna get <laughs> and um I was starting a new job yes and so I completed the event fly from LA to New York and start the the new job the next day. So I was completely like crippled stiff, you know, I could <laughs> barely move. And I remember like the number was on my arm and I'm getting in the shower thinking um, I should scrub it off. You know, that's what most people would do. And I was like, but I'm so proud of what I just <laughs> did. Like there's no way, like this may never happen in my life again. I've got to cherish the moment. <laughs> And not only did I not take the number off, when I show up to work, I remember specifically wearing short sleeves nice. so that everyone would see it. <laughs> nice. And a skirt, not trousers, so that they could see your calf. Exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. So I was like, yeah, what did you do this weekend? Because I was a badass, you know? <laughs> and you made sure you stood so that like the right side of your body or whatever is like totally facing people when you meet them. <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, exactly. And the funny thing I will say is because, you know, most of my career has been in sports and fitness, people tend to assume I'm an amazing athlete and I'm like oh my god like I run at the pace of an ocean liner I mean I am so slow but it's all about doing it you know it doesn't matter how good you are it's just about getting out there and doing it well one of the things that really made me um stop I underlined it in the book when I was reading but when you were talking about you know whenever you're scared or anxious about something at work or maybe not whenever but Oftentimes, you know, um, the running gives you the confidence because you're doing something hard the first thing of the day, right? Yeah, definitely. No, I, running has been and continues to be like, I don't know, meditation, energizing, empowering. It's so many things for me. And I, I do think, you know, particularly on those days, we all have them, whether you're preparing for a really tough meeting or you know, I don't know, a tough conversation with your child, whatever it may be, there are things that uh, moments in our lives when we get in our head and we can wig ourselves out by doing that too much. And 
I think when you go for a run, there's something about just the sort of just the pace of it, your body, everything like being in that moment that helps to calm you down a lot and helps to sort of uh, frame your thoughts in a more constructive way. And so it has become a like absolute technique that I, I mark it in my calendar when I know I have big board meetings or whatever, Sure. <laughs> that I'm going to make sure I run that morning for sure. Yeah. Well, and so are you still, tell us about your running routine. Are you still kind of running five miles a day, five or six days a week? Or are you doing other things now? Um yeah, no, I do. I mix it up. I mean, it's interesting. Now I'm the CEO of Flywheel, which is um, an indoor cycling company. So I'm clearly doing a lot of that. But what sure. I love is that um, it's a hit workout. And so it is really, I'm finding that it's really improving my pace and just my overall running ability. Hmm. And I'm also, I'm 45 now. So I'm having to sort of be a little bit more judicious with the miles, you know, like I think 10 years ago, I could just crush a thousand miles a year without blinking whereas now I'm like oh I'm starting to get sore knees you know so I'm definitely conscious of I want to be able to run until I'm way into my 60s so I'm like I better be sure now that I'm mixing it up with other things to extend my body's ability to do so Sure, no, don't sure. don't limit yourself. Let's go into our seventies still running. I'm there, sister. <laughs> we're we're gonna be the seven. Sarah's in their seventies club. Come on, you and me, Let's the founding do members. It. I'm there. Yes. <laughs> well, and you also talk about um, new methods of regeneration, like better stretching, more consistent sleep. I mean, has that kind of come into your life more too as you get a little bit older? Like, um, how how has that helped you? Yeah, I was not. I I bet you ladies are the same with anyone with kids like when you go through the phase of having kids you don't sleep a whole lot at the beginning no. <laughs> and um and i do think that's a time in all of our lives where you know you're not sleeping enough sometimes you're giving up workouts because you you know whether it's mommy guilt whatever it may be and mm -hmm. i definitely found once i got to a place of near burnout at one point in my let's see I was in my sort of mid-30s um, and I just had my third child and I realized that you have to prioritize your energy and your fitness above everything and then you'll be a good mom and then you'll be a good boss and then you'll be a good everything else and so I became much much more disciplined in making sure I got you know at least seven hours sleep a night um, making sure I did get that workout in before anything else happened. And it definitely has made a big difference to my productivity. Nice. So and this is, this is kind of a basic kind of dumb question, but how did you do that? Cause I mean, you obviously have a ton of responsibility, right? So how do you like turn yeah. it off and say, okay, you know what? It's 10 o'clock. I got to go to bed. Okay. It's five o'clock. I've got to get up and work out. Like, you know, I, sometimes I feel like it's so hard to make that choice, even when you know it's the right thing to do. Yeah, it is, right? And it's all about your, I think a lot of the reasons that we don't make that choice is because we are worried about letting other people down, whether that's your family, whether that's, you know, your boss, your whomever. Because I think as working moms, but actually as all moms, you have so many people pulling at your attention all the time. But in the end, it's, it's a choice. You just have to mentally talk yourself into I can either be pulled in a million directions and be super ineffective or I can firstly prioritize my own energy sources and know from then on that I'm going to be more productive at getting back to all these other people 
pulling on me. And I think the other thing too, I would say is that it's um, the world we live in now is we're, you know, attached at the hip to devices at all times. But it's amazing if you just turn the damn thing off and you don't see the emails coming in, you will have a good night's sleep. If it's beside your bed and you can see the light pinging every time something comes in, of course it's going to get into your into your head and you're not going to be able to be as relaxed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, that feeds into something I heard you talking about on, on a different podcast. You were talking about um, life fitness and instead of using the term mm-hmm. life balance and um, we think it's a concept a lot of mother runners could benefit from and it's mm. very, very much in line with what we had another mother runner and our Train Like a Mother Club promotes. So could you talk about what you mean by the term life fitness? Yeah, I I call it work-life fitness because mm-hmm. I, I feel like everybody talks all the time about work-life balance. Mm-hmm. I'm always asked, like, how do you have work-life balance? And to me, it's like I, I don't think about it as trying to balance something. I think about that everything in my life starts with fitness. And if I am fit and healthy, I can balance and prioritize everything in my life on my own terms and it all starts with fitness and I think you know I constantly meet people who are really struggling with the balance because of the fact that they're not even like doing the first thing that matters which is to to pay attention to your own personal fitness and well-being before you take care of other people's and if you can get that priority in the right order and really sort of get on the front foot you'll be so much more confident frankly to say no mm-hmm. when you need to say no and you know uh, empowered and sort of energized to really get after the stuff that you've said yes to mm-hmm. yeah yeah all right um, so so you do you suggest people should say no and i love that um and that's pretty critical you know whether it's a sanity saver while you're training for a goal or when you're working on a big work project or a family schedule is really hectic so how do you politely and respectfully say no to something? Because, you know, I mean, we're, we moms are like over volunteers, over pleasers, over everything's. No doubt. <laughs> it's our biggest problem. No, I mean, I think I actually have been thinking about this a lot in the last six to nine months because I actually think it's one of the single biggest kind of Um, unthought about reasons why women don't reach their full potential is they're not very good at saying no. And you have to get comfortable at like deeply prioritizing what you're trying to get done if you're going to get to the maximum of what, you know, you're capable of being. And I actually think for some women it's hard on the kind of after the fact when people are asking you, and you feel guilty, so you say, okay, I'm gonna come do what it is you need to do. Whereas if you can get ahead of it and say, for example, in my life, in the last six months, I started a new job and had a massive book tour. I literally got out in front of it and said to everyone in my life that I care about, here's the deal. You're not likely to hear from me much over this period of time, and here's why. And then when random requests were coming in, I could quite comfortably say, hey, it's not you, It's I've told this to the nearest and dearest people in my life. Like right now is a period of time where I'm focused on this one thing. When I'm done with it and I come up for air, I'll be able to take on others. So it's almost like 
framing what your priorities are at a moment in time and just being very direct about it mm -hmm. so that's not so much reacting to the request as proactively stating this is where you're at. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice. So um, we've been a little delinquent in not having you define your concept of extreme you. So um, yeah. could you could you do that and how um, talk about how it applies to various realms in our lives? Yeah, like I um, really believe being extreme you is essentially maximizing your own personal potential, whoever you are. So it's up to you to really define it on your own terms, what it means for you. It definitely doesn't mean you have to be into extreme sports or like an extroverted loud mouth or any of the things that the word extreme might uh, connote. It's more about really understanding a, what your most natural skills are, b what your passions are, you know, what really blows your hair back when you get up in the morning and putting them together so that you're spending your time and your life really playing yourself to your full potential. And I think we all know what it feels like when you're, kind of playing your A game and you know that you're sort of doing the best that you can do. It's a, an amazing, amazing feeling. And that's really what an extrema pursues. Mm -hmm. All right. So I've got a two-part question about mantras. So your your Ooh. business mantra, um, correct me if I'm wrong on this one, because um, I'll admit I was listening to the podcast while I was running. So that's why I left out the <laughs> work-life fitness that. part. And so, so it, is it fewer, bigger, better is that what it is? Yes. yes. Okay. I've repeated yes. it several times while I was running during my hill nice. repeat yesterday. So I could try to remember. Nice. Um, so um, please talk about how that can apply to various aspects of life. And then the, the follow up, the second part of that is, um, do you have a different mantra for when you're in the sports realm, like in a race? Mm, that's a great question. So yeah, in business and in life, like this idea of fewer, bigger, better is that I, I have found it in so many companies that I've uh, worked at where you especially big companies, you, you sort of find that over time, you know, the scope creep of projects, whatever, suddenly there's just tons and tons of initiatives going on, people pulled in all directions. And when you take a step back, you're like, are we really making an impact? If we could just focus all of our efforts behind fewer things and make them much bigger and more impactful, would we not do better? And I actually find that it's a good mantra to apply to your personal life as well because I certainly found from you know all the people I interviewed for my book these very very high profile extremely successful people in the world that they were masters of just being really focused on what their particular agenda was and not getting distracted and pulled in a million directions and kind of to the conversation we just had before that's the death of you know gnawing away at your own potential when you just get pulled into lots of directions instead of really focusing on fewer things and making a much bigger impact with them. So mm -hmm. I do think it's a good uh, mantra for business and certainly life and career. And then I think in terms of races, hmm, that's because it's funny, like the term race is just such a crack up for me because I'm <laughs> never racing anywhere. It's not like I'm ever going to be in the top. 10 of anything um, when it comes to running. But I I do think, you know, I, I tend to 
personally try and focus on one big event a year that I can really rally my attention and energy around. So I guess it does play out in its own way, even though I hadn't thought about it. (laughs) Okay, good, good, good. But there's no, like, you don't say the word believe to yourself, you know, 20 times when the, when you hit a rough patch in a half marathon or, or, you know, think I got this or I'm magic or something. I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. No, it's funny. I I can't say I do. I mean, I think... I think I typically, when it gets really rough, <laughs> I typically just tell myself, you know, it's not that much time. <laughs> I mean, like sure. when you actually put it in perspective, as much as you're in all that pain and that moment and you're like, God, I've got a half hour to go, whatever. Then you kind of go a half hour. I can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you just like, I usually b- break it down to what is the most di- digestible chunk that makes me know I can get to the end. Uh-huh. That's fine. We we oftentimes talk about digestible chunks, breaking things down you? into oh, yeah, yeah. Because because yeah. we talk about um like Dim and I do a, a talk at expos and talk about like oh it's too much for your brain to chew on, so just break it into little manageable bite-sized pieces. So exactly, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Totally, it's, it's it's the only way. I think that is a great like mantra really for fitness in general like whatever level of fitness you're at you know people often want to get better and they look at the people better than them and it just feels so insurmountable and it's like no it's not if you break it down into tiny little steps like you just said if you just improve your mileage by a tenth of a mile this week Mm -hmm. you know that in itself is a step towards the next place you're trying to get to Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so, so there's a chapter in your book called Ignite Your Magic Drive, and, and in it you write, the secret of working hard is to find the satisfaction in hard work. And I, mm. I read that sentence several times over because it really resonated with me, and, and mm. I, I just started um, training for a fall marathon. I haven't been on a training plan for a while. And um, nice. doing those hill repeats that I mentioned when I was listening to you on the, that other podcast, like I was doing these hill repeats, and I just kind of forgot how satisfying it is to mm. feel that sense of accomplishment and to you know feel like I nailed a tough workout. So um, please share some of the other elements of igniting the magical aspect of drive. Yeah. No, I, I really got so inspired from the people I interviewed for the book in discovering what I now call magic drive because the funny thing is that people will often ask me, how, how are you so driven? And I'm like, I actually can't answer that because I think it's hard when it's something that comes quite naturally to you, like Mm. clearly does to both of you two as well. But when you ask other people about it, you can start to sort of shape what is the common thread. And for sure, what I learned is that it is about setting challenges, but they have to be just enough kind of outside your, your comfort zone to know that it's a real challenge that you're trying to overcome. So anyone signing up for a marathon, clearly <laughs> that <laughs> fits the bill. But let's say you were an exceptionally good marathon runner. That challenge may be a slight improvement in your PR. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like what is that slight thing that's pushing you beyond where you're currently at so that definitely it's a goal. And from there, definitely a lot of people it was about sort of publicly stating hey this is what I'm trying to do whatever that <clears throat> may be um, if it's a running event or if it's a you know career objective and then because you've stated it you sort of put yourself on the line this drive just triggers and it's really interesting how 
you know, I think on a on on the case of running, I can think of many times when I signed up for events that I just was so not into mm-hmm. training because the weather was bad or you know whatever. But because I told everyone on Facebook, <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> I was like, now I have to do it, you know, and it just kind of kicks in. And I I think it's a little bit the same with life as well. Is when so many of the people I interviewed in the book, they would say to me you know, my parents or my um, coach or my professor thought that this XYZ thing that I'm pursuing didn't make sense and I shouldn't do it. And it was almost like this relentless need to prove other people wrong that Mm. really triggered this drive. It's a little bit the same. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious, and this this may be, um, I hope it's not, doesn't feel like a sacrilegious question, but I'm just like, when we um, were writing Tales from Another Mother Runner, um, it's a book that has like 22 essays in it from a range of different writers. And one of them, um, I was talking to her and she was like, you know, being a badass all the time is exhausting. And I was like, that kind of um, hit me a little bit because I was like, it is, or I could, re- I can relate to that. I'm not saying that there aren't times to be badass and times to really go for those goals. But I mean, do you, I mean, you can't be just always putting yourself out there, or are you? No, it's a really good question. I, I do believe, and I sort of concluded that in the book, is that people who are legitimate, sustaining badasses, <laughs> are, um, they tend to go through a cycle. Like I call it the extremist cycle. But it tends to be um, cyclical. You, you, sure. you go through these moments where you, you're setting quite aggressive goals. Like I look at, I'll use myself as an example. You know, last year... I quit my job to write a book and, you know, life was actually very, very calm. (laughs) I was sleeping in. I was like having all sorts of just chill time. And then I look at this year in comparison where, my God, I'd probably done three years of work in the last six months, you know, and this is a very intense time. But I think most people go through that cycle like they, they bite off a new challenge that comes with it a very intense period of really pushing yourself out there but then there comes a point where that you that becomes comfortable that becomes mastery and, and you can just chill for a little while and I think most people do have that moment uh before they kick back into something new and that's an important part of the sort of regeneration period like I think if it's physical you do need that downtime after a marathon just to let your body regroup and if it's life and work I think it's very similar when you've had these intense periods you need to then go binge on your family and just recharge in a different way and that's what gives you more energy to go after it again sure mm-hmm. sure yeah no yeah that's yeah. definitely a cycle but yeah and I, and I I'm glad that you advocate for that <laughs> um, I will oh, admit yeah. I got about two-thirds of the way through your book and and then I, I didn't so I, I didn't get to your conclusion I apologize but um, oh god well there you go <laughs> Um, so, so one piece of advice you give an extreme you is proper planning prevents piss poor performance. Um, so, so first off, love the alliteration. Um, yes. and then, um, second, it's great advice, whether we're talking a, a race, a job interview or the school auction. So could you elaborate on that nugget? Yeah, I heard this one from a football coach when we were interviewing, kids high school kids and coaches when I was at Gatorade we were doing focus groups and I was like it's such a great line (laughs) and it's just all about how you know let's talk about running for a second like we've all done those marathons half marathons where we beautifully prepared 
We followed the training manual as exactly as we were told to. We had an amazing experience. And we've had those ones where we know we didn't train enough. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> and you show up on the day and you're dying within six miles and you're mad at yourself and you know why. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I think it's like, that's really what that saying is all about is like, you cannot expect extraordinary results if you haven't planned for them and you haven't mm-hmm. put the work and the effort in to make them happen because yes i guess some people have have luck but for most of us you really have to not only plan but put the real hard yards of work in to get the kind of result you're looking for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so um so it was interesting the number of women in your book who are prompted towards taking chances and gaining success partly simply by a desire to get out of the house for a few hours a day um, you know, <laughs> I know. I, I, we can all relate. Allie Webb of Dry Bar and Janet how, yeah. is Shamlian. Is that how you say your last Shamlian, yeah. Shamlian mm-hmm. of NBC. Yeah. Um, you know, that's we sometimes feel that's what gets us to work out when we don't feel like it. If nothing else, going yeah. for a run or going to the gym is away from the craziness at home. I mean, is that yeah. is that a valid enough reason to, to go back to work or to, to go, set some goals? That's an interesting question. Is it a valid enough reason? I think so. I think anything's a valid enough reason to to sort of, I mean, to me, what it speaks to in both of those cases is, you know, and this, those are two examples, but there are many other people like it. Women in particular, we're very good at sacrificing our own, you know, goals, needs, etc. for the good of everyone around us. And I think, you can do that for a certain amount of time, but in the end, when you start to really feel like there's more that you have to give, there's more potential you have to explore, you, you have to give in to that desire because you're actually going to end up being a better mom and a better friend and a better everything else if you're just really loving your own life as opposed to feeling resentful. And I actually got some great advice from a friend once when I was, of all things, at the Fortune Power Women Summit. So it's a bunch of, you know, women who are in similar career working um, mom positions, et cetera. And, and this woman said to me, you know, we, it's easy to go through life feeling guilty to your kids that you're doing all these things. And she's like, yeah, you have to reframe that conversation. If you say to your kids, actually, I love what I do and that's why I do it that's very inspiring for them to grow Mm -hmm. up with a role model and think, gosh, I could go to work every day and be really inspired by what I do. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you have this kind of like, I'm constantly feeling guilty because I'm not with you. Well, what is that telling them about what their life's going to be like in the future? Mm. Sure. Yeah. That's, that's a great way of framing it. Yeah. It's really interesting. Well, and Janet has five kids, right? And she basically went, I mean, her story was pretty interesting. Can you just kind of give that to us in a nutshell? It's amazing. Like she literally told me her story over dinner one night. I didn't know her terribly well. Uh And I was like, this story needs to be told. (laughs) Because she literally had five kids in six years. Let's just start there. Oh, I know. Yeah. I mean, who does that? But um, (laughs) so she had been a uh, local anchor um, on the, you know, nightly news for within Chicago. And she then decides to have kids. And she's like, as she said, if I couldn't do my career full time, I'm going all in with kids, you know, the five kids in six years. And then six years later, she realizes, well, I really, really wish that I could be back in the game. I miss being um, a journalist. I miss, you know, the job I used to have. 
And as you probably know, in that industry, it favors the young. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not easy to come back after a six-year break, no matter who you are, but particularly Mm -hmm. as a female. And, I mean, she told me the full extent of the story, like her agent wouldn't even return a call. Mm. (laughs) Like, who are you? You know, (laughs) because you went off to be a parent. And she finally gets a break to do an audition and obviously, like, you know, completely prepares better than anyone else around her and gets the small break and gets back on the air and then basically it was just so dedicated to it and was so willing to drop everything to you know prove that she could be as good as any other journalist despite the fact she had her five kids at home and you know today she is a national correspondent for the Today Show and the Nightly News and she's had this amazing career And it's just like such an unheard of comeback. And Mm -hmm. I think what I loved about her story, it's such a great story for women everywhere, is it's never too late. You know, you can be a full-time lead parent for 15, 20 years. And still, if you choose to get back into the workforce, there's somewhere for you to go. It's like, don't ever feel like you can't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, you write that the best way to beat failure is to live through it enough. And um, Mm. that line reminded me of um, my pal Kelly, who just qualified for the Boston Marathon after trying 12 times. Wow. Yeah, I know, 12 times, yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, she just kept getting back up on the proverbial horse. Um, So Wow, (laughs) Yeah. that's something. That's amazing. Yeah, and then she crushed it. I mean, she beat it by the time that she needed by like 10 minutes. You know, after wow. missing it for like, you know, one minute, two minutes, you know, really close. And so it was, uh, yeah. I'm in awe. So um, what do you believe is gained from living through failure? Honestly, I think a couple things. First of all, it's resilience is the single biggest thing you get out of it. Because I think when you failed, you tend to think in that moment that the world is over, but it's not. It never is. You know, life goes on and you realize whether it's weeks or months later that you've emerged and you're still there and you're okay. And I think what comes with that is this just resilience to to be willing to try again. But I think for me, even more importantly, a big thing that you learn is humility. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think particularly in uh, the business world, it's very easy to have a great success and think, you know, you got this, but we're only as good as our, um, most recent successes and the world is changing so fast around us that you have to have a constant belief that you don't have all the answers I think in order to be to be really successful in the world today and that that is what humility really is so I think if you failed a few times you kind of have that somewhere deep down inside you're like it could happen again Mm -hmm. so I'm gonna listen to everyone around me and not get too ahead of my skis Mm -hmm. is that a kiwi phrase not get too ahead of my skis yeah (laughs) i don't know it must be i tend to use it a bunch i like it it. awesome well thank you sarah you have been so helpful and so insightful and um do you do you have have you been to your flywheel class today or are you um headed there later yes i did i i rode this morning actually it was awesome great way to get back from the holiday weekend that's for sure nice nice well and i want to remind people that uh they can keep this conversation going. You can tweet you at extreme SRO or head to extreme you.com to take the, it's 15 question extremer quiz that I took last evening. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very fun. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Sarah. It was a delight talking with you.
Yeah, you too. Have fun. Take All care. Right. Well, Dim, I just adore talking to Sarah. That was... Uh, yeah. She's, wow. Well, I can listen to her accent all day long, and she's just so <laughs> insightful. It's funny. Oh, I, know. I saw I saw an article in the Wall Street Journal uh, uh, last week, I think, um, about how, you know, like it used to be like athletes, like used to hire, Wall Street used to hire athletes, especially male athletes, because they had teamwork and they knew how to go, you know, for goals, even when they get mm-hmm. defeated and blah, blah, blah. And um, the reality is, is, you know, a lot of the jobs on Wall Street are just taken over by computers now, right? Like that's mm-hmm. just, you know, they, they don't have the need anymore for, you know, people who rode crew a pen or whatever. And, right, um, right. and uh, but I was just thinking about Sarah and how I don't think that that's going to change for women as much. Like, I don't think that's going to mm-hmm. be such a paradigm shift because, um, because it wasn't, you know, it's not like we were channeling into one specific field. I mean, I know that men go to a lot of different places besides Wall Street, but I don't know. I just somehow feel like the the, the fitness, the way that we think of fitness and the way mm-hmm. that men think of sports are, you know, stereotypically oh, different, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I just think the things that she talks about, you know, are cue up anybody for success, right? You know, taking care of oh, yourself, I know. Um, setting small goals. Um, saying no. Saying no, know? yeah. I mean, all that yeah. stuff is just... Um, you know, and she wasn't a great athlete. You know, I mean, she was. Don't get me wrong. I mean, she's obviously a good athlete to do what she's done. But, you know, she like she said, she's not, you know, she never made the A team in field hockey. She not, yeah. she, you know, she doesn't stand on the podium, but she keeps going. And that's, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. a lot of how I know our crowd and our tribe, um, you know, think about success as an athlete. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. All right. So, so Dim, take us, take us to the Train Like a Mother Club. Uh, and light up our world with what's happening light over there. up our world well so instead of going back usually i go back and do a race report or um or you know land where somebody is exactly in the middle of their training but here is lisa who's in the um 26.2 going crush the distance the marathon the traditional oh, marathon plans. all the all the and, hip kids are in that yeah that's what i've yeah. heard um so she <laughs> says hello lovely mother runners i'm starting my marathon training today just like you sarah or yesterday this was written yesterday um, for uh-huh. Twin Cities, I moved Tuesday's run Woo-hoo. to today, so I'm already juggling. So I'm already juggling like I do. Me too. Me too. Me too. Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> um, this will be my sixth marathon, my first Twin Cities, and my first marathon since becoming a mom. I am beyond mm. thankful my one-year-old likes a jogging stroller, and I know we will enjoy many miles together this summer. I'm a farmer who lives in rural Central Minnesota, and I love that the Train Like a Mother Club will help me connect with so many of you. All the postings about Twin Cities make me think we need a post where everyone checks in. Or maybe a post where we can all list our marathon, our location, and our goals for this training cycle. Thoughts? Um, happy trainer. Happy training, bammers. Um, and so, Lisa, just I'm answering your question on air. Um, and I'll go in and answer on Facebook as well. Um, but we are grabbing your races. Um, so we have that. Um, and we have a little place on the contact us um, button on the Train Like a Mother Club. So we're getting everybody's races, and then we post them in the different Facebook clubs so people know if there is somebody going to their race. And the Twin oh, nice. Cities, of course, is a target race. So we're going to have mm-hmm. a shakeout run, and we're going to have a gathering. Um, and um, what was I going to say? And that will that will we'll release all that information, and we'll get your name and everything. So. I don't know why yeah, I'm answering yeah. her question. I just like that she was Lisa, starting off. I'm like, already like, oh, can I help? Can I help? 
So Lisa, I met Lisa at last year's Twin Cities, and she was, um, I don't know if you remember the picture, but uh, it was, I posted on Instagram, and it was her son who um, was wearing little tiny sock and he running shoes. And um, <laughs> and he had such the cute little fat baby leg. And somebody, oh, yes. like, somebody I think it might have been you who wrote, I think that kid needs bigger socks. Because <laughs> it was like, <laughs> like squeezing them. <laughs> so yeah, Lisa, Lisa was actually on the podcast. She was um, in the... Um, one about how people who work kind of um, atypical, as my father would say, atypical jobs and how they fit in, um, you know, with kind of unusual work schedules. And so she was the farmer that was on that show. Perfect. Um, so welcome back, so, Lisa. Yes, we're, yeah. we're excited to see you in the Twin Cities. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. So, well, all right. Well, um, spots for this year's AMR Run plus refresh retreat are filling up fast dimity they right. sure are fast, we just fast. got a we just got we just got a new registration yesterday because we opened up a few more slots we were sold out and so now there are just four spots left for the september in spokane retreat where we'll talk race prep fueling mental toughness prehab plus enjoy some great meals together and run the happy girls spokane race either 5k 10k or half marathon or if you don't feel like racing you can be a cheerleader at the finish line and keep me company as i'm the mc of the race Go to anothermotherrunner.com slash retreat for more details and to register. Again, that's anothermotherrunner.com slash retreat. And also, we're contemplating where to hold our 2018 retreats. Yes, plural. There's an S at the end of that word uh, for 2018. We're considering, considering, not not making any promises. Like I tell my kids, I didn't promise. Um, we're considering having a spring and a fall retreat. Chances are good we'll have the fall one on the East Coast. I can hear some people um, cheering for that one. There's been a lot of requests for East Coast retreat. And we're thinking maybe a mountain state in the spring. But we'd love your input. Please tweet me at SBS on the run to give suggestions or chime in on our Facebook page, Another Mother Runner. And thanks in advance. Our podcast is a member of the ACAST network, and our show today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. Mm-hmm.